Welcome to Listen to Lawrence, presented by Lawrence Eric Davidow, Senior and Managing Partner of Davidow, Davidow, Siegel & Stern, one of the first and most successful elder law, special needs, and estate planning firms on Long Island. This podcast series is based on his Listen to Lawrence seminars and will teach you how to plan in advance to protect your own assets and those that you leave to your children and grandchildren. Mr. David Dow is a past president of the National Academy of Elder Law Attorneys, a published author, and an accomplished and educational speaker. So sit back and listen to Lawrence. Hello, everybody. My name is Lawrence David Dow, and this is another episode of the Listen to Lawrence podcast dedicated to answering your questions. Well, I have a new question today from one of my clients, and here it goes. It says... My boyfriend and I have owned a house together for the last 20 years. Will I end up with a house if he dies first? Okay. Well, we get a lot of questions on deeds. Uh, In fact, every one of our clients, when they first come into the office, we ask them to bring the deed to their house with them for us to look at. Because sometimes we're surprised at what's in there. The clients had no idea what was in there. But in this case, I, I assume that this couple, 20 years ago, they went and bought a house together. You have to look at the deed to find out what would happen. Uh, and what are the choices? Well, there are different forms of ownership of a house. One I'd like to talk about is tenants in common. Well, tenants in common means that each of the two owners owns an undivided 50% interest. She owns half and he owns half. And that means if he dies, his half goes by his will. His He may have an old will that leaves everything to his children. Well, then his kids would end up with the house. She He might need to have a new will that says, upon my death, my half of the house goes to my girlfriend so that she ends up with the house. But is that really what he wanted Didn't he perhaps want to protect that investment for his children? And so he has a dilemma, and maybe that dilemma resulted in him doing nothing to fix this. Very often what I might do is I might change his will, or I might set up a trust to avoid probate, where upon his death, his half of the house goes into a trust for the benefit of his girlfriend so that she could live in the house for the rest of her life, but at the time of her death, then the house will go back to his kids or some variation on this theme. But tenants in common means that each of the two owners can do anything they want with their half and the survivor does not automatically get it. So you'll have to look at your deed. Now, when you look at the deed, what is it going to say? Well, if two unmarried people buy a house together and it just says that Mary and Joe own the house, that's tenants in common. There's no presumption that there's any type of right of survivorship. So if you just see the two names and you're not married when you took it, I'm telling you right now, you each own an undivided 50% interest and your half will go according to your will. Nothing automatically will go to the survivor. Well, one option instead of tenants in common would be joint tenancy with right of survivorship. So here, Joe and Mary would own the house, joint tenants with right of survivorship. And I need to see language similar to that on the deed itself. It might just say joint owners. I think that would probably be enough, but it would be better if it said joint 
uh, ownership with right of survivorship. And then if something happens to one of them, even if the will says something different, it will automatically go to the survivor. So if his will says my assets go to my kids, that's not what's going to happen with this house. If it says joint tenancy with right of survivorship, it automatically goes to the survivor. Uh, does the survivor have to do anything after the first death? The answer is no. Automatically, they would be the owner. You don't need a second deed to show that she is 100% owner. So that's cool. Uh, if they were married, then that's a little different. Um, when a husband and wife take title to a house, it's really um, assumed that, and presumed, I should say, uh, that it is joint tenancy with right of survivorship, but it's more than that. It's something called tenancy by the entirety. It'll usually say something like Joe Smith and Mary Smith, his wife, to show that there was a marriage there. But if a husband and wife take title to an asset, that is essentially a joint tenancy with right of survivorship. It is essentially that each of them owns 100% of the house. So if one dies, the survivor just continues on as the 100% owner. Automatically, nothing the surviving spouse has to do to get title in there. But what makes tenancy by the entirety different than joint tenancy with right of survivorship is that spouses get certain protections, mostly from each other and creditors. So once it's tenancy by the entirety, one cannot transfer their half interest without the consent of the other. Uh, a creditor against one cannot go after the other. They can't force the sale of the house. Now, joint tenancy with right of survivorship for non-married people, a creditor can go after your half of the house. Uh, that's not a problem. And either owner can transfer away their half at any time without the consent of the other. So I want you to be aware of these different ownerships uh, that uh, people uh, can have when they buy property together. Another type of, uh, of, of home ownership that I want to mention here uh, that I get a lot of questions about is something called a life estate. So um, Mary may have a house and she wants her house to automatically go to her kids she doesn't want to set up, at her death, I should say, and she doesn't want to set up a fancy trust for whatever reason. She wants to put a beneficiary on her, on her deed. In New York, the question is, then, can you just create a deed that has a beneficiary? In other words, can Mary own the house for her life, and then upon her death it automatically go uh, to the kids? Um, not like you think. Uh, the, you, you can't just attach a beneficiary uh, on a house like you can with a bank account or a brokerage account. Although in other states you can. For instance, in Florida, they have something called the Ladybird deed, which is essentially you're the 100% owner of your house. You can do anything you want with your house for the rest of your life, but it attaches a beneficiary on it. Kind of looks like a life estate, but it's not really a life estate. Um, and I'll explain what that is in a minute. Or right now, how about? So a life estate which we can we do in New York uh, occasionally, is where you own the house, but now you transfer the ownership of the house to, let's say, whoever you want, but let's say your children. 
So your children own the house, but in the deed itself, it says the party, the first part hereby retains a life estate. In English, Mary transfers the house to her kids, but Mary reserves a life estate, which is essentially the right to use it, to own it, to uh, get the income from it, uh, exclusive uh, right to live there for the rest of her life. So she doesn't own 100% of the house. She only owns uh, enough of the ownership of this hybrid ownership of a house that she owns it just for her life. She already gave away the inheritance now. From a Medicaid point of view, uh, people like to transfer away their house, retain a life estate. That starts the five-year look back for Medicaid. Five years later, your house is completely protected from Medicaid. And then upon your death, your life estate is extinguished. It goes up in smoke. Your kids own the house uh, without probate. They get the house. They get what is called a step-up in basis. Um, They uh, own the house after death. They own the house now, but they're stuck with you. So it's a hybrid type of of a concept. I will tell you that this will protect the house from Medicaid after five years. But I rarely, rarely would ever do a life estate to protect a house from Medicaid. I usually create an an irrevocable trust. But a a life estate is a tool in the tool shed that we could use. The problem with a life estate is that if the house needs to get sold while mom is living. So Mary transfers her house to her kids. She retains a life estate. She decides the neighborhood is changing. She doesn't want to live here anymore. She wants to go with her friends into this 55 and older community. She wants to now sell the house. Who gets the money? Well, the money doesn't all go back to her to buy another house because she doesn't own the whole house. She needs the consent, number one, of the kids. And let's assume that your kids are angels and they will agree to anything you want. So they say, sure, mom, I'll sell the house. So you and the kids sell the house. Who gets the money? Well, it's split between you and the kids because the kids own something and you own something. And what's the percentage different? Well, you have to look at the IRS tables and it's interest rate dependent on a particular month. But basically, there's a fancy little formula and it depends on how old you are. Put it this way, if you are 60 years old and you have a long life expectancy, then the value of your life estate is going to be bigger. But if you're 85 years old, your life your life expectancy is less, so your life estate is worth less. So whatever, we have to plug in your age, whatever your age is, we have to plug in an interest rate, we have to look at a chart, we sell the house, some of the money goes back to you, and some of the money goes to your kids. And let's, let's assume you have wonderful kids, they'll give you the money to buy the next house. The problem is taxes, capital gains. That's the big problem because you paid little for your house. It's worth a lot more. If you sold it, there would be a big capital gain. And you're saying, well, that's not a problem because I have a $250,000 capital gain exclusion, so I won't pay any tax. But that's not, well, it's only true if you own the house. And since the kids own perhaps the greater share of the house, they will have to pay capital gains on what they have. If we set up an irrevocable trust and the trust sells the house and then buys you that 55 and older community, we would have the full use of your $250,000 exemption. So I've done other podcasts on this before, and I'll do more in the future about all the tax consequences. The purpose of today was to teach about different ownership, uh, uh, different ownership in real estate, tenants in common, joint tenancy with right of survivorship, tenancy by the entirety, and there's something called a life estate. 
So that's what I wanted you to learn today. Uh, if you have other questions, I'd like you to send them to me. I'd like you to send them to info at davidowlaw.com. I'll get that question, and I'll probably answer it on a future podcast or one of my Listen to Lawrence letters. What is that? That's a twice-a-week email that I send out um, answering your questions. I do it in a cute way. I do it in a short way. I'm trying to get you to learn one new thing every time um, in, a, in an easily digestible way. So that's what we'll do. Um, so thanks for listening today. I hope you learned something. I wish you peace, health, and happiness. And until next time, stay safe, my friends. Bye-bye. The Listen to Lawrence podcast is not meant to be advice particular to any one person or to serve as a do-it-yourself planning guide. It's simply to educate the audience. For more information, please visit davidowlaw.com.